you've probably discerned if you've been to our church for any length of time that I, I watch a lot of movies. I, I really love going to movies. It's kind of sort of my area, too. I mean, I'm a communications professor, so I'm interested in things media and the like. And uh, one of the things I've done in my life is compile a top ten movies. You probably informally have yours, but mine's uh, an ongoing process. Uh, one of my top ten all-time movies was from the 1980s. It's a movie called Chariots of Fire. Now, Chariots of Fire was great, not just because of the music, but the music was pretty awesome. Um, it is a story chronicling two athletes from the 1920s. One of those athletes was Eric Little, who was a devout Christian born to Scottish missionaries in China. And he was a member of the 1924 British Olympic team. And in the film, Little and his sister Jenny, who's also a missionary, begin to have some conflict because she thinks his sports are getting in the way of their mission. And at this critical moment in the story, she and he have a conversation. And he says this to her. He announces that he is going to return to the mission field and to China. But he also then expresses a firm belief that being a runner is part of God's mission too. And he says this, and it's my favorite line from really the whole movie, but many movies. Jenny, you've got to understand, I believe that God made me for a purpose for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. He felt real fullness of life using the gifts God had given him. Have you ever felt that before? In, in a moment where you're actually doing what you think you maybe were made to do or you were helping somebody in a way with a gift or a skill set that you know is given to you as an act of grace and you thought, I'm kind of doing it. I, I, I sense God's presence here. I feel his pleasure. I have that in two different life circumstances. Over the years, uh, I've believed and I've seen exercise that I have a gift of evangelism. Now, you'd think as a minister, obviously, that would be the truth, right? But that's not what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, since becoming a pastor, it's kind of sort of ruined the one-on-one -on -one ministry I used to get to do with friends and people who weren't, you know, when I was in radio and people around me weren't Christians, I had a lot of opportunities. Now, when people find out I'm a preacher, they just shut her down. You know what I mean? The conversation sometimes is just over. Um, but in the day, there were times where I would get into what I would call... Uh, divine appointments, moments where you're thinking, I can't believe that I'm here and having this conversation or that the conversation actually uh, was posed to me the way it was. One example of this was when I was in college. I was walking from the top floor where I was an RA in a dorm, and on the bottom floor on one of the landings, these two girls were sitting there, and they looked sort of glum. And I asked them, you know, what's the matter? And they said, you know, we've just been sitting here contemplating life and how purposeless we feel and just feel lost. And you got any ideas for us? And I thought to myself, this is not supposed to be this easy. You know, as a Christian, you're supposed to annoy people and pass out literature. That's how I learned. Anyway, no, I. But seriously, I, I, I couldn't believe that this kind of open door, and this wasn't the only time. And, and in those moments where I was communicating the gospel in a way that they could probably understand, um, I remember feeling and sensing God's really in this. The other way I have over the years felt 
God's joy. And let me be clear, I'm not saying I think God thinks I'm funny. But when I make people laugh, I have a real sense that God is pleased to use me in that way. And I really enjoy it, so much so that there were times when I was doing a lot of speaking at youth camps. I would come home and from a, like a week-long trip speaking to hundreds of little kids, and Carolyn would go, how did it go? And I'd say, oh, it was great. My material was, went over really well. And she'd go, no, I meant, did any kids come to Christ? You know, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> that thing. You know, I mean, I, that's how much I enjoyed sort of making kids laugh. Sad but true. Um, Again, I'm not a great comic. I just sense God's joy when I use that particular gift that he's given me. And as we've seen today and we will see today from 1 Corinthians 1, there is a relationship between the fullness of God that we get to experience in this life and the use of our gifts. And this is why we've entitled today's message, Fullness, Enjoying Jesus Through Serving the Church. And we'll start today's analysis by reading again Paul's initial greeting to the church in Corinth. And uh, this is one of those things, uh, you know, the introduction of a letter from the apostles. Um, Sometimes we'll blow through this, and I've likened it to like when a a kid gets a, a, a birthday card in the mail from grandma and grandpa. They like toss the card away and like they're digging for the check. You know, it's like, no, 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 you got to teach them to read the card. Grandma and Grandpa went to Hallmark, and, you know, they wrote this note for you, and they're like, yeah, 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 let's get through this and get to the check. You know, and so in this, this is often the case for us when we're, like, going to, like, this letter to the Corinthians. We're like, yeah, 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 grace and peace and blah, blah, blah. Let's get to the meat of the material here. And, and Paul's got some things he, well, we can learn and, and exposit, if you will, take out about God from these chunks of Scripture. And in 1 Corinthians 1, verses verses, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, first, I got to say, one of the most exciting things for me is to see Paul's introduction of Sosthenes. Uh, This is his moment in the sun. This is his 15 minutes, if you will, This is all the publicity that this brother is ever going to get. He co-authored a letter from and with the Apostle Paul. And Paul's introduction of him sets the tone for a teaching he's going to give throughout the entirety of this letter to the Corinthians. We're all part of the body of Christ. Paul did not see himself as above this brother. He says, a co-worker, my co-laborer. He introduces him because he's trying to communicate that you guys have made too much of me, the Apostle Paul. There are others involved, and this is all really about God. We also see in Paul's introduction a distinction between the local church and the church universal. Some theologians refer to this as the invisible and the visible church. The visible church is those uh, who are in a specific congregation, a church body, a local church. 
And the invisible church is comprised of all who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this distinction between the visible, invisible, the local, and the global is important because Paul, as we'll see in the months ahead as we study in October and November in the church series we're going to do from Corinthians on division in the church and the fault lines in the church, Paul has quite a bit to say about how the local church governs itself and how it is supposed to be governed locally and how we are to conduct ourselves and love each other in the church. And so Paul begins by pointing out some things that he's actually going to elaborate on as he goes through this letter. Very intentionally set some stakes in the ground. This is the body of Christ. We're part of a bigger church, but you're supposed to be responsible locally. And he's going to start continuing in this. Paul's greeting in what follows now a thanksgiving section. This is, Paul has these in a lot of his letters these thanksgiving sections give us some insight into his pastoral care for the Corinthians. This is a strong letter. This is a, a, a letter admonishing them and rebuking them. And some people just really enjoy the process of rebuking others. Some so-called ministers of the gospel love being right about truth. Let me, I fight for truth. And uh, Paul was certainly arguing for truth, but it was truth as a means to something. It wasn't just truth for truth's sake. Paul's pastoral care for these people meant that he wanted them to have a correct understanding of gifts, their use, their attitudes towards each other. He wanted them to have a correct understanding of who Jesus was in the church. But he did this because his desire was to see them grow in Christ and enjoy all of what they've been given in the gospel. And the gospel isn't just salvation from hell, but the promise to restore us, albeit a process, restore us to fellowship with our creator through Christ. And uh, Paul's driving agenda is not just correcting the church about its attitudes about things, but he wants the glory of God to be seen so that the people can enjoy him, enjoy God. Now, I'm going to get a little Presbyterian on you here, so buckle up. Time to break out some Westminster. The Westminster Shorter a Catechism says and asks this question, what is the chief end of man? And theologically speaking, Protestants have held man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And this is the pastoral feeling you get with Paul if you read carefully in what he's saying to the Corinthians. Even while he's correcting them very strongly about some error, he's doing it so that they would know the love and grace of God. It isn't just to be right. You see this evidenced in other letters he's written. And one of my favorites is his emoting to the Ephesians about how much he desires that they would comprehend how much God loves them. And as an emotional kid, this is something that really resonates with me. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19, Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, his desire, his passion was not just that he would be right about theology or that he could correct them scripturally and that being an end in and of itself. I am about the glory of God. It was, yes, the glory of God because the glory of God is what ultimately leads to our greatest joy. It's what leads to our fullness in him. It is Jesus that we're after in all of this. So today, our purpose being to show what it means to know fullness, let's dive in and contemplate the relationship between fullness and the use of our gifts. And so again, we continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. My first thought for us this morning is this. His grace has given us Jesus and the fullness of his presence. So we'll start with there, where real fullness is found. And again, in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 through 6, the apostle writes, I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. The the authenticity of their conversion to Christ was seen by Paul. They were enriched in speech and in knowledge. And the gospel has provided Jesus for us. Jesus is who we want to know and love and serve. It is a relationship with Jesus for which our soul longs. In our culture, you'll hear people say things like, I just just need joy. What a soul needs is love. And it is true, but what we need is Jesus, and by having him, you get all of the manifestations of his grace. You get all of the manifestations that come from being connected to the God of the universe. So-called love and joy and peace without Jesus would be unconditional, would not be unconditional, mind you, or secure for eternity. In this world, you get a temporal love based on your performance. But by God's grace through Christ, we have an enduring love that is unconditional. God's grace was evidenced and accomplished in Jesus' perfect life of obedience, his death to pay for the sins of anyone who would ever believe, and his resurrection, which he says if he didn't go away, the Holy Spirit couldn't live in us. And in all of these ways, his grace has given us Jesus. This is the fullness of of deity in bodily form. It is Jesus that is, as the scriptures say here, enriching us in every way. We have been in every way enriched in him. Uh, The apostle John wrote this in the first chapter of John, verses 16 through 18. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. See, God wants us to know the fullness of joy in life 
but it's found in being near him. The psalmist says this in Psalm 1611 when he says, You've made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And there is this tension that exists for us in that God has called us to pursue him and know him intimately by his spirit, and yet oftentimes we don't necessarily feel it. Or sometimes we feel it stronger than we do at other times in life, and sometimes it's just like completely absent, and we're like, what are we doing here? And, and saints for millennium have talked about this, and this is not new that we would at times feel this longing for something that seems like it's just away from us. John Piper wrote about how we can experience the love of God, and I thought he said it aptly. How then do we pursue the fullness of the experience of the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit? One key is to realize that the experience is not like hypnosis or electric shock or drug-induced hallucinations or shivers at a good tune. Rather, it is mediated through knowledge. It is not the same as knowledge, but it comes through knowledge. Or to say it another way, this experience of the love of God is the work of the Spirit giving unspeakable joy in response to the mind's perception of the demonstration of that love in Jesus Christ. In this way, Christ gets the glory for the joy we have. It is a joy in what we see in him. Our souls long for connection with our Heavenly Father. That longing has been made possible in Christ. And as long as we continue to try to make other things uh, fill that space, we'll only remain frustrated because they can't. And yet you say, I've sought the Lord, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I can't seem to satisfy that thing in me there either. But I would say, better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. That the, the sips of experience in the presence of God are better than the kegs of life experience offered by a world that will only bring pain. Jesus has called us to a pursuit of him, a humble pursuit of him, and his grace has given us his presence, the fullness of his presence. And this is really what we are longing for, and I felt the need to cover this before I actually specifically speak to the issue of gifts as it relates to fullness, because there are times where people make gifts their goal instead of God, where it's about, I want to speak in tongues, or I want to have a gift of healing, or I want to have something. I don't really want God. I want his blessings, but not him. And the good news for us is that even in times of drought, we can have him even if we don't have what we thought it is that we wanted. We're offered him. So the second thought I have for us today is this. While his grace has given us Jesus and the fullness of his presence, his grace has given us gifts that draw us into his presence. His, the gifts he's given us are a means by which we can experience fullness. And if you've been somebody whose soul has been kind of lacking or feeling a longing for, for more of Jesus, 
and you're saying, how can I experience more of him? One of the means of experiencing him is through the gifts he's given. And this is what Paul was continuing to say in verse 7. He said, Christ has confirmed his testimony among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I I have to pause and and point out verse 8 because this was a critical experience for me as a young Christian, and I've only grown in more appreciation for it. But when he says he will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is, uh, if you were raised in church, and some of us were, and, and some of us were raised in churches where we thought what was being communicated to us, and sometimes it was, and other times we were just misunderstanding, we were hearing that when we faced God, there was going to be some doubt as to whether or not we would go to heaven or not as a Christian. It was really based in large part about how well you did caring for the poor, walking little old ladies across the street, uh, giving money or doing generous things for people. You know, whatever the good works were, in my mind and in the minds of many people who were raised in church or who have some perception of church, the whole notion of facing God is a terrifying thing. Even though in Christianity we talk about salvation and things like that, we still haven't appropriated an, an, an important piece of this which is something Paul's communicating. He says that we will be guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how is that possible? Because none of us are guiltless. None of us will ever be guiltless. So what does that mean? It means that what makes us guiltless before God on the day of judgment is that we have been credited with Christ's righteousness. We've been forgiven for our sins, but we've also been a appropriately given the righteousness of Christ to represent us before the Father. There isn't going to be any doubt. You are going to be guiltless before God. I think that's incredible. And it goes to what Paul's trying to say to the Corinthians, that the gifts you get, this is a gift. You were not lacking in any gift. The Corinthians were given gifts by God. They were not earned. We read before, they were enriched by God. They did not produce these things themselves. And so this is very much in concert with the salvation that the Gospels talk about, by grace so that no one can boast. These gifts, Paul was trying to get them to see that their tendency was to boast about things that were given to them like a really pretty woman or a really good-looking dude who's just genetically blessed, bragging about how great-looking they are. Isn't that strange? They had nothing to do with it. They had a genetic pool that was gifted to them, and yet they take pride in how good-looking they are. Do you see the oddity in that? You didn't have anything to do with it. I'm so proud that I'm bald. You know, that's a genetic thing. Now, sure, you could shave your head and be like me, but it wouldn't be real or authentic. (laughs) These gifts we're given were not for our own glory, but for the building up of the church while we patiently wait for Christ's return. Paul was emphasizing that the ultimate goal and hope of the believer was the return of Christ, 
not the spiritual gifts that we get to use during this time that we're waiting for him to come back. And in the same way, our life now should not be about the pursuit of his gifts, but the pursuit of him. And this is what gifts are designed to do. They're designed to help us have a moment, a brush with greatness, as they used to do on the David Letterman show. That people in the audience would stand up and talk about a person they bumped into that was famous or known for being uh, accomplished at something, and it was a segment they called Brush with Greatness. Well, an opportunity to have our gifts given by God for His purposes and have Him use us is an opportunity for us to experience and walk with Jesus in a new dimension. It's really fun. Jesus said, without Him, we can do nothing, John fifteen five. By virtue of needing his power and strength to accomplish his will, the gifts he's given us are a means of knowing the fullness of his presence. This being used by him to touch others is one of the ways you experience fullness in Christ. It's a thrill to, be ex- to know that you're being moved along by the power of God to care for people. It's one of the reasons why we encourage you to be in a community group. There's, there's great joy experiencing Christ working through you, and that only happens when you're actually with others and know what their needs are. But, as Tim Keller says, everyone says they want community and friendship, but mention accountability or commitment to people and they run the other way. And that's certainly true for me, so I'm not picking on you. I will tell you, as we've expressed in the past from our pulpit, that there are times when all of us, whether you're a part of a Bible study or a community group or just coming to church on Sunday where you're like, I've felt this before, like, there are about a million things I'd rather do than go to my community group. But you kind of fight through that, and then at the community group, you have this moment where somebody says something that is encouraging to you, or as has been the case for me and my men's group, there are some weeks where um, I'll see it in the eyes of another brother and they just are like, I'm just glad I'm not alone in this. And you can sense the Lord moving in our presence, not because of any one thing that's said, but just that we've gathered for the purposes of encouraging each other and being used by each other, but used by God to, to touch each other's hearts. There's this moment where you get to experience in community being used by God, and that gives the fullness of joy. Jesus said this in John 15, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, Jesus wants you to have fullness of joy. He wants you to have fullness of life. He's saying one of the means of getting that done is by obeying him and loving and serving others. When we invite you to be a part of serving in our church, which is kind of what this fall is really about. It's not about growing our organization. 
It's about giving you an opportunity to allow God to move in your life through your service of other people. So your bulletin has these categories where you could jump in and use your gifts and talents to serve this church and experience God's grace working through you. You can go online and take a gifts test and find out exactly where your sets of skills given are and where your passions lie. But all those things are just mere appeals that we want you, like Paul is appealing to the Corinthians, I just want you to experience the joy and the fullness of what God wants to do in your life. And one of the ways that takes place is by him using you to care for and serve others. I have uh, five sisters, but my sister Lisa and I have a particularly unique relationship because of where we fit in the birth order. She's fourth and I'm fifth. She's just ahead of me. In high school, we were close. She dated my best friend. Uh, We both went to the same college, West Virginia University, home of the Mountaineers. We lived in the same dorm together. Uh, She graduated a year ahead of me. She got married. We both ended up about a year and a half later in the Washington, D.C. area. We lived not far from each other. She and her husband, I was at their place eating out of their fridge probably more than they wanted me to. Uh, I just spent tons of time with her. One of my first dates with Carolyn uh, was taking her to Lisa's uh, for dinner because, you know, she had to pass the sister test. Um, And actually, she was thrilled. Um, And my sister Lisa actually uh, thinks I'm really funny, which, of course, cemented her her place in my heart early on in life. Um, During that season of life in D.C., I was working as a disc jockey at night, and she was working for a congressman downtown, and she called one day to tell me that she'd been diagnosed with cancer and then had to uh, uh, get chemotherapy at the hospital in Georgetown. And so from time to time, I had the privilege, because I had the time during the day, to drive her and wait uh, while she got her chemotherapy and then drive her, chauffeur her home. I considered it a privilege to get to be close to her during that time, but I had one other responsibility, and that was to make her laugh, uh, And as I had most of my life, uh, just to lighten the load. And I believe God placed me in her life for that season, and it gave me great joy, even as I think back on it. It gave me great joy to be her servant. And I want to tell you that making someone laugh when they just yacked out the window of your car is a real skill. That's a gift. And I experience God's fullness in serving her. We close today with this from the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let us pray.